Today's sermon, I'm calling it Land Left to Conquer, is going to be a little um, uncomfortable for many people. It was uncomfortable for me writing it. The question I have for you in the introduction is, why are people even part of a church? And when you become a part of a church, do you come with expectations What about us as Americans? What are particularly the expectations that we as Americans have for a church when we come to be a part of it? I think that many people in America expect the church, now listen carefully, I think many people expect the church to be some sort of recipe for a blessed life, whatever that might look like to you. We expect the church to help us in our recovery, or we, help, we expect the church to help us build a strong family or, or maybe even unlock secrets to peace of mind and many other things that we expect our church to help us achieve and provide for us. And look, these things, I'm not knocking these things, they can certainly be these ancillary benefits of being a part of a church. But did you know that those things are not even in the top five missions for the church? See, we must recognize that the purpose of a church is so much more than just providing you with a conduit to earthly blessings and good feelings. Your moment in time within the church history, the church of Jesus, your moment in it is so small. It's a a tiny part of God's overall beautiful, dramatic plan of redemption. See, God did not create... His church, not your church, God did not create his church for your benefit. Did you know that? It was designed with a transcendent purpose far beyond your own life agenda. But sadly, I think that's why we often, when we're looking for a church, we look, does it fill my agenda? Is it going to meet my needs here? Is it going to help me feel this there? Am I going to grow? And that can be part of it, but that's a small part of it. What the church is really about, it's about this marathon battle with swarming evil that stretches across the history of redemption. Get ready, because today in love, I want to challenge you to be a part of the real purpose of church. Now, this week, I'm going to be doing the sermon a little bit different. I'm not going to start off by reading the passage because we're actually covering almost like three chapters today. Don't worry, I'm not going to read them all. (laughs) I want to start off with some history. I want you to to see that right now the nation of Israel and Joshua, they're very battle-hardened at this point as we come to, go back a little bit, go back one slide. Oh, go forward. Okay, never mind, just keep it there. Okay, they're very battle-hardened at this point. So in Joshua chapter 10 through chapter 12, it records a long list of Joshua's amazing run. This is after the Battle of Gibeon. Remember, we talked about that last week. It records this this sequential list of amazing run of military victories over one king after another. And after destroying that first evil alliance at Gibeon, you remember there was that alliance, and I showed you the map how Gibeon was surrounded by these forces After destroying that first evil alliance, Joshua takes control of all of those kings that he's just defeated. All their cities are defenseless, and he runs and just takes over them in the south. And this is kind of a list of the cities that he took over after Gibeon. 
Now, other Canaanite kings learned about this victory, right, and how overwhelming it was. And, and of course, they learned from this, right? And they chose to repent and to become a part of Israel, correct? No, that's not what happened. In chapter 11, it records that 11 more kings and people groups in the north heard about what happened in the south and at Gibeon and all those cities. And they say, well, our decision should be just to do the same thing the people in the south did. Let's form an alliance. But this time, the alliance is massive. Matter of fact, the scripture describes this alliance is like the descendants are like the sand of the sea. That's how many soldiers they're facing. It's like a relentless swarm of enemy forces surrounding Israel on all sides. And you can see this. You go forward, look at this. So these are the list of people who joined this new northern alliance. And you can see how they're all surrounding Israel, correct? This is where they are, at the waters of Moran. That's where the, the big battle is going to take place. All these nations are coming against Israel yet again. But as we see in chapter 11 and chapter 12, God fights for Israel again, and they destroy this alliance, and Joshua starts to take their cities in the north as well. You know, each time Satan gathers an alliance of evil against God's people, they are always defeated. And so both campaigns, the one in the north, right here, and the one in the south, we learned about at Gibeon, all the cities that were taken after these alliances were defeated in one battle, these campaigns took several decades. It wasn't like a week. And Joshua and Israel just defeat city after city. And the list of victories that is compiled becomes stunning. And in Joshua chapter 12, it recaps all of those that have been defeated by Moses before they crossed over the Jordan and Joshua since they crossed the Jordan. And it is a long list. I'm not going to read them all. I'm not going to read any of them because I don't know how to pronounce most of them. <laughs> But as you can see here on the right here, Israel has effective control over the whole region now. And the stories about what God has done to Israel's enemies begins to spread throughout the region. And while certain kings probably did not repent, I imagine many individuals, just like we saw at, uh, at the mountain when they were worshiping together, many sojourners began to join the nation of Israel. Now listen, this does not mean that all the Canaanites were gone. There would always be, among God's people, a constant opposition. And what we see in the scripture is there are still many lands to the west toward the Mediterranean Sea, right? If you go that way, you can see all those lands that are still there to be conquered, and some in the north and, and some to the east. And Joshua will not be able to finish this job. Moses and Joshua together, right? These two, these are incredible leaders back to back for the nation of Israel, aren't they? They accomplished so much in their lifetime. But God's plan was so much more than just two men could accomplish. And now we see what happens. Joshua is old. Let's read Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. This is our main text for today. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, Joshua, you're old and advanced in years. Well, thanks, God. I appreciate you <laughs> pointing that out. And there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains, all the regions of the Philistines, the Geshurites, from the Shihor east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is continued as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of Avim. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belonged to the Sidonians and to Aphek, to the boundaries of the Amorites. 
the land of the Gibeonites, all Lebanon toward the sunrise from Balgad below Mount Hermon to Labo Hamath. That's a lot of stuff left. All the inhabitants of the country from Lebanon to whatever that is. Even all the Sidonians, I myself, this is God speaking, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. They're not gone yet. And look what God tells him to do. Allot these lands to Israel for an inheritance, the ones that aren't conquered yet. As I have commanded you, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. You know it wasn't 12 because some had already settled east of the Jordan or west of the Jordan. So remember, this is ancient warfare. There's no tanks, there's no trucks, there's no Black Hawk helicopters. It took decades, even though these cities were defenseless, you have to travel with an army. It took decades of fighting to take all these regions, even the ones that didn't have an army. And Joshua throughout this time has been an incredibly strong and courageous leader as he cleared the land promised to Israel. And for that, he has certainly loved and revered. But now God describes Joshua as advanced in years. You know, I'm just going to say if God calls you old, then you know you're old. (laughs) You know, there's no doubt. And now, after decades, 40 years probably, Joshua's fighting days are done. Other tribes and other leaders would have to pick up that burden from this point on. See, God's plan was not to unite Israel under one leader anymore. That's not what he wanted, even though later Israel wanted that with King Saul. God wanted Israel to look more like the church does today. Not united under one leader, but united under God himself. So Joshua now transitions from military leader to executive organizational leader. And he's preparing Israel for its future success to come. So he steps into this new administrative role, dividing both conquered and unconquered territories among the tribes, sending them into those regions. They have control of a ton of territory now. And it's not like, this is important, listen, it's not like when they first entered Canaan when they had nothing to lose, they didn't own anything. Now they have a lot of stuff that they have to defend, so it's getting more complicated and things are starting to get slower. So Joshua, led by God, lays the groundwork for growth and stability and a legacy of resilience and hope for future generations of God's people. And even with all the mistakes Israel made, the kingdom of Israel lasted almost a thousand years. Joshua trains them. He organizes them. He advises them. He equips them. He sends them out. He prepares Israel to continue what God has called them to do, which is to what? Go into the land, just like our Great Commission. So that's the history, right? So we covered a lot of Joshua in that. Look at the theology. What about God? What is he doing? I want you to see how God's plan continues. So you see here, there is another evil alliance, right? We we talked about it, and this one's like the sands of the sea. This second larger swarming evil alliance is another beautiful, clear link in Joshua to two visions John wrote about in the book of Revelation that we've already studied. 
First of all, Revelation chapter 9, verse 3 to 11. Look at this. From the smoke came locusts on the earth with power like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or green plant or any tree. That's a metaphor. That doesn't mean vegetation. It means people who are living. But only those without the seal of God on their foreheads. That's how we know what the green trees are talking about. They were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces like human faces. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. This goes with what I taught you last week. That is the forces of darkness that always gather evil alliances against God's people. We can clearly see this second alliance, which is like the sands of the sea, is a metaphor and a connection and a foreshadow to this demon locust horde that we learned about in Revelation. See, identifying the nature of this massive second alliance of pagan kings to the north, it is critical for you if you really want to understand today's passage in Joshua. See, it foreshadows what John taught us about how we face repeated alliances of evil throughout the church age, constantly. Some of which have and will come from within our own ranks. So we don't always identify them quickly and easily. And in Revelation, we learned how throughout history, Satan gathers nations and earthly forces against God's redeemed. And this second swarming alliance is another. It's how evil operates even today and will operate until our Jesus returns to vanquish evil forever. Evil always comes in waves and swarms because Satan hates God's kingdom and how God continues to call his redeemed. Make no mistake, as God continues to save and transform people at Grace Life, evil will swarm around these stories of redemption because it hates it. And we also see here there is work left to be done. The land left to conquer is also a beautiful, meta, beautiful, beautiful metaphor for the church and our perpetual fight and struggle against evil as we go into the land with the gospel of grace and mercy. For years, Joshua was in the battle for Israel against one evil alliance after another, defeating them over and over and over again. But even after 40 years, the job isn't done. There are still parts of the land Joshua was not able to get to and go into to conquer. The job was too big for one man's lifetime, and the forces of darkness always would be a constant swarming threat. It reminds me of another vision in Revelation. Do you remember what the story we read about, about the the metaphor of the 144,000 in Revelation, how it represents the church on earth in battle at any moment in redemptive history. Right now, you, we are part of the church in battle. We are part of that 144,000. Then when we die and God saves more people and come along, they become the part of the church in battle. It foreshadows also how Jesus leads us into these unreached places, no matter how powerful the swarming forces of evil around us might be. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience or when your 
mission, your calling is complete. So Joshua's transition and Israel's transition continues to foreshadow our commission to go into all the earth after Jesus ascended to heaven. God's promise to Joshua is the same promise Jesus made when he commanded his disciples to go into the land with the gospel. You see that. God said, Joshua, send these tribes into unconquered regions. That's what we do. Jesus taught us in the parable of the wheat in the weeds. We, we reference this all the time because it is a central theme of the new covenant. Jesus taught us in the parable of the wheat and the weeds that evil would always attempt to surround God's people. But through our spirit-led proclamation of his gospel, we are driving out swarming forces of evil across the earth every time we go into these regions with the love of God. And since Jesus ascended with a promise to return for that final battle against the final swarm of evil, his church, we, as individuals and corporately, have been through a lot. The forces of evil are constantly swarming, using every, every weapon in its arsenal to fight against what God has called us to do. Even when it seemed like evil was insurmountable, the gospel could not be stopped. You want proof? You're here and you are a follower of Jesus. Because the church is not designed for hunkering down in fear. We are part of a spiritual kingdom that is on the offensive. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Who is on the defensive? Us or the powers that built the gates of hell? Okay, that's the theology. That's some deep stuff. Here's the personal section. What are you supposed to do with this? I want to talk about the fact that our battle continues. And here was the sermon preview that I put on social media this week. Until Jesus returns, the church remains in battle with lands to possess through proclamation of the gospel. So the list, just like the list we saw in Joshua 12 for Moses and Joshua, the list of evil alliances God and the church has defeated over the last 2,000 years is even longer and more impressive than this list. Think of all the evil alliances that have tried to destroy God's people that are now in rubble. The ones formed now will end up in rubble. Jesus is keeping his promise, church. No weapon formed will stop his kingdom's advance. We keep spreading the gospel. Each time evil swarms against God's army, God, just like he did for Joshua, stands up for his people and slaps that evil alliance down and the church moves on. The kingdom advances, evil gathers, it's slapped away, and with this cycle, some of us are growing old and advanced in years. <laughs> And despite the massive list of victories by the church over the last 2,000 years, our battle against evil in this fallen world continues. And Joshua's role, right, which became one of organizing, training, and structures to equip the next generation to fight future battles, that's what's happening as well today. This battle will persist until our Jesus returns, until all of those he has chosen before the foundation of the world, the scripture teaches us, have been saved. No matter how much evil swarms, 
around us. It won't stop what God has called us to do as we go into the land with the greatest weapon of all, the gospel of love and mercy and grace. You know, one day there will be that big final swarm of evil that we've learned about in Armageddon. And as he has done before, Jesus will defeat it with just his word. It will be destroyed. Never be able to swarm again, evil will be. We will all be forever with our Jesus ruling and reigning with him. But until then, God keeps his promise to never leave us or forsake us. It's the promise he gave Joshua and he gave us in the Great Commission. He promises to fight for us as we follow his command to go into unconquered lands. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You then, my child, see how Paul is talking to Timothy, who is younger than he is. I want you to see that. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see how the cycle continues, even though evil swarms. Share in suffering as a person looking for blessings in life. Is that what it says? <laughs> Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. See, Paul knew when he wrote this, Paul knew his time on the earthly battlefield as part of the 144,000, as the church in battle, he knew his time in battle was almost done. He was advanced in years. He wanted to prepare Timothy before Paul was put to death. He wanted to prepare Timothy to take over the battle. And Timothy did. As Timothy pre prepared to take the baton from Paul, Paul wanted to help Timothy be prepared for any evil swarm that would form against him when Paul was gone. Because you see, church, discipleship, discipleship isn't about helping you receive God's earthly blessings. Dispense with that goal. It's about preparing you for battle as the kingdom of God advances. You might get blessings, but that's not the reason for discipleship. That's the reason for seminars. See, many see church, it kind of frustrates me, many see church as an evangelical self-help group. I've even heard people say, well, the church is a spiritual hospital to let sick people heal. They expect the church to provide successful recovery, successful parenting, unlock techniques to secure God's blessings. A friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, calls it better living through Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of what we look at. Discipleship. I just want better living through Jesus. Let me just tell you, the church isn't designed to be your path to earthly blessings. The primary purpose of being part of a church isn't to help you get your life together. The church is God's active army on earth at any given moment in redemptive history, advancing his kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel to all nations. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. The church is about taking up your role within the ranks of the church in battle. And then as you get advanced in years, 
passing your responsibility on to those after you. Second Timothy, chapter two, verse four, some of the same from the same letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead and the hope of his appearing for the sake of the kingdom. Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete endurance and teaching. So, for better or for worse, my generation is doing our best to carry the burden in this cosmic battle of redemption. But at the same time, my generation must equip those behind us to carry on. That's what the generation before me did for me. I've had so many, so many Joshua's in my life who fought many battles for Jesus And they became advanced in years, and then they turned the fight over to me, teaching me everything that I needed to know. So I will be 56 in November. And God willing, I have many years left of preaching and loving and serving together with you, my dear church family. But one day, I and many others in your church family will be like Joshua. We will be advanced in years. Some say I already am. (laughs) you young whippersnappers. (laughs) But here's the deal, though. When that moment comes, unless our Jesus returns first, right, (laughs) there will always be land yet to conquer with the gospel of grace. Those here who are younger, and you know who you are, one day, Maybe sooner than you think, you'll need to be ready to take over this battle. And this I can tell you from my own personal life experience. The call to go into the land with the gospel is an exciting, exhausting privilege. I can also tell you from personal experience, evil has, does, And we'll swarm like locusts around us as we go into the land with the gospel. And just as Joshua, one man, couldn't bring final victory for Israel, we can't either. But one day our Jesus will. In the meantime, if you are part of Grace Life, if you consider yourself a part of our church family, even though we don't really have official church membership here, and that's for a reason, but if you consider yourself a part of our family, I, we, today, are throwing down the mantle. We are calling you to something deeper than just evangelical self-help. Grace Life isn't a Better Living with Jesus seminar. You are part of a church that is in battle against swarming evil. We're calling you younger to be a full participant in your part of the church in battle, proclaiming the gospel in this land that has been given to us. And like Joshua, our generation needs to step up and equip you with every lesson and every tool you might need. We need to give you every advantage we can. So we're doing it through these grace groups that I keep pushing every week. We do it here on Sunday morning. We do it with these incredible, 
in the trenches ministries that are now happening really every day of the week here in this building. Did you know that? There's something going on every day. Air conditioners are running 24 <laughs> seven. There's training here to be had for those who see themselves as current or future soldiers in this battle. But you will need to show up. You'll need to learn what you need to learn so that you can be prepared and ready at any moment. I don't know how long I will be the pastor of Grace Life, hopefully for decades longer. Who knows? Because I can tell you, even this morning, right now, in this city that we love, evil is swarming. And there is land left for us to conquer with the power of the gospel. It's time for you younger to join with us in the battle. And it's the time for us who are getting advanced in years to look for ways to equip those who are ready for the fight. Dear Jesus, we're so grateful of the example you give us of how you fought with Joshua and with Moses and with Israel. Lord, the battle is intimidating, but we thank you that you have promised that you'll be with us, you'll never leave us or forsake us, and you will always fight for us. Lord, I pray by the power of the Spirit that you would begin to give us wisdom, discipline, creativity, and discernment of knowing how to fight the battle and how to prepare those behind us to fight it when we are gone. Lord, we're so thankful that we serve a movement that is far greater than just our earthly blessings. We're so thankful you've called us to serve a movement that has eternal consequences for those you have already called, those you are calling, and those you have yet to call that you have chosen before the foundation of the world. And we just thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. Now keep us faithful, even as evil swarms, to go into this land and proclaim the gospel of love and mercy and grace. In Jesus' name.